0: I invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As we continue reading through 1 Corinthians, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 10. We'll be reading verses 10 through 17 today. If you're looking for 1 Corinthians, go through first the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians come afterwards. Before we study God's word together, let's pray. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts upon your word be pleasing in your sight, O God. Send your spirit upon us, we pray. Speak, for your servants listen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, so that there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you, What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is my old taekwondo uniform. It has a lot of memories for me. It's very special to me. And it contains not only memories, but also a fair amount of sweat. In fact, I'm pretty sure the stains around the armpits are permanent. No amount of bleach can ever fix that. And the collar is just a little bit yellowed. It contains sweat it thankfully has, for the most part, avoided blood, um, either my own from my nose or mouth or that of my opponents occasionally. Tournaments, accidents happen. There's sweat. There's some blood. There are some tears in this uniform as well, sometimes some angry, bitter tears, remember after my first few rounds at a sectional tournament and doing pretty well in sparring and, and, and placing well, I went to my first regional tournament and lost first round, and I lost bad, shut out 0-5. Uh, it was a humiliating loss, and as I bowed out to my opponent, I was fighting back angry tears at the humiliation of loss and frustration. This uniform has gone with me through belt tests and promotions. It's been uh, on me during great fights in tournaments, competing with my peers. And it contains memories that I appreciate, memories that have shaped and formed me. And it's in particular at tournaments that I think about what this uniform means to me. Tournaments were so uniting because... Like any competitive sport, you get together, there's enjoyment. There's uh, friendly competition in seeing who's the best. How well can you do against your peers? And often it was an opportunity to see friends. People that you got to know through your region. People that you got to reconnect with. People you were glad to see. But this uniform also reminds me how easily division can grow in an otherwise unified body. How easily division slips in and grows and puts roots down deep and becomes strong. Because on our uniforms, we have Taekwondo at the top. It's the big umbrella. It's even in the shape of an umbrella, how convenient. It's the big umbrella under which all of us practiced. And then there is the institution, the the affiliation, which was the American Taekwondo Association, the ATA which is always confusing because there used to be an airline called ATA. So with ATA, you're on vacation. That was a little bit confusing for all of us. But then at the very bottom is the school that you're from. For me, it was Lowell, Indiana. And the school that you're from means that you are affiliated. You are a disciple of a certain instructor of that school. Now, for the most part, we respected one another, and we appreciated getting to know people from Lowell or Crown Point or Kankakee. But as I said, division can so easily put down seeds and grow deep roots and strength of a malicious kind. It was at tournaments, as a teenager in martial arts, that I tasted bitter division. The pride of being from Lowell, Indiana, led me to have a distaste for anyone from LaPorte, And to this day, I still believe that the instructor taught his students to fight dirty. And there's good evidence for that, like putting on soccer shin guards underneath your uniform. That's dirty and malicious, and its intent is to injure and harm others. But to this day, I still believe the Laporte students were mean and nasty. And it's almost an attitude that I can't repent of something I can't change my mind about. And make no mistake, that is sin. To make a permanent judgment as if I was completely omniscient of all factors and to not be willing to reconsider is sin. To assume the place of God who truly knows all things and can make permanent judgments, an unwillingness to repent, an unwillingness to reconsider or show grace is sin. I still think some of the students from Valpo are a little, I don't know, stuck up. Maybe just because I dated one of the girls from the Valpo school. I don't know. Maybe that's some of my own issue. There is friendly competition with others from different schools. But it was amazing how almost instinctively, if you were from one school, you affiliated with your instructor, and you learned to dislike and even hate instructors and schools. From other towns. Some were friends and some were not. And these attitudes sunk deeply into the fabric of our life together in tournament. Now, we were a group of teenagers fighting in martial arts. And so maybe in some ways it's not so serious, but can we see the exact same behavior at work in our nation today? These are the people of my camp who I will speak no ill of. And those are those who I oppose, and I will speak maliciously about them. In tournament, we would talk smack about each other's instructors. And it's an interesting psychological phenomena that when you speak critically of someone else, you always know that you're justified. You always know that you're right and that you are the righteous one. You can say whatever you want and know that it is right that you are saying what you are. But as soon as someone speaks about your instructor, about your school, about your camp, they're wrong. And you know that they're, they're out of line. They've crossed a line. It's over the top. It's out of place. But you yourselves do the very same things. As I look back now and how defensive I was of my school and how I would tell people, you don't talk about anyone's instructor like that except I would speak of their instructors in the exact same way, in the same malicious terms. Does this sound at all familiar over the last few weeks, over the last few months? I have two cousins who are on the verge of not speaking to each other because they would both say, you don't talk about anybody like that when it's their political party being spoken of, and yet they use the same words. They use the same words to talk about people, but it's just different people. And both feel justified in whatever they say, and both feel that the other is completely out of line, even if they're using the same words. Not attacking policy, but attacking personhood. We hurt each other quickly. Friends can be turned against friends. Family members can be turned against family members. Because even in a unified body, division grows quickly. Its roots become strong and it is a malicious force. Now this is nothing new. It's nothing new to the human condition from politics today to uh, martial arts in my teenage years all the way back to the church in Corinth. Corinth. What should be a unified body, a church, had seeds of division and disharmony and disintegration. The church in Corinth, division has sprouted up. And it's almost as if they're reading the uniform backwards. It's as if instead of thinking for for our sake, for sake of analogy, we can think of the big umbrella is Christianity the big umbrella of which we're all a part, and different organizations within that, the Roman Catholic Church, the Reformed Church in America, the Christian Reformed Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Missouri Church of the Lutheran Synod. I mix that up, Lutheran Church with the Missouri Synod. United Methodists, Free Methodists, all of us fit under this bigger umbrella of Christianity into our different groups, but then the bottom is the location, the locale. This bottom line is North Holland or First Zealand, This is the local place of which we are a part. It's as if the church in Corinth, though, has taken the bottom line and assumed it to be the top. That we are of this camp, and and we are the end-all, be-all of everything else. And unity does not then work because there is no harmony from the bottom line moving back up. It's only stuck at the bottom, arguing over which instructor, which church, They follow. This is the case in the church in Corinth that some claim to follow Paul, others claim to follow Apollos or Cephas. They are divided among whose instructor is who. Now, this is a point in which the Apostle Paul is very strongly addressing a cultural icon that the people in Corinth would know. Corinth is in Greece. And in, in Greece, there was an, an affiliation with a philosopher that you would choose, a sophist, a person of wisdom. And if you said, I follow Ptolemy, it means that you do not follow anyone else. You do not consider other philosophers, other sophists to be of any value. To say, I follow this one, means I do not follow another. And now the church is doing the exact same thing as the culture. Well, I follow Paul, meaning I don't recognize Apollos' authority. I follow Cephas. I don't recognize Paul as an apostle. The church has scattered into its segments. And to say they follow one means they don't recognize following or the authority of another. And what should be unified under the umbrella is fragmented and disjointed. This is the church in Corinth that Paul is addressing. And the church is beginning to look a lot like the world around it, and not like the body of Christ that it was planted to be and intended for in that city of Corinth all those years ago. The church of Corinth was divided just as the people of Corinth would be divided over arguing over who was the best. Particular comment that, In the first century world, the followers of a sophist teacher were often so zealous in promoting their leaders that they insulted the pupils of anyone else. In one case, the disciples of a sophist, a wise person, became so angry in hearing abuse heaped on their leader by rival disciples that it led to the death of the other speaker. If you're ever really interested in a Friday evening reading from Cambridge University Press, it's a very fascinating article from 1997. If you're interested, I can hook you up. But they would kill each other over divisions based on whose teacher they followed. This can so easily happen within the church. We can align ourselves with individual leaders, even at the bottom rung of unity. And maybe this can bring in history as well of, you know, I really liked the church when someone else was the pastor. I don't really like Pastor Stephen say, that's okay, you don't really have to. Or maybe I'd say, what's your problem? (laughs) But it's so easy to hold on to one thing that we like and hold against one thing that we don't like. This is our human nature. And yet, in verse 10, the Apostle Paul makes a very strong request, and it's threefold, that the people of Corinth agree with one another That there be no divisions among them and that they be perfectly united in mind and thought. To agree, to have no divisions, and to be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is hard enough for two people alone. Consider a a, a marriage where you agree you're not divided and you're perfectly united in mind and thought. Or a a friendship or between two siblings or a parent-child relationship where you agree there's no divisions and you're perfectly united, this is hard enough among two people or three or four, much less a group of 100, 200, 300 or more. It is not our human nature to attain to this unity, and yet the Apostle Paul pulls no punches. There is a point at which we can simply agree to disagree and in that sense live in relative peace. Now that is possible. We experience that in our relationships, even at, at very personal levels. Now, to have no divisions among you, to have, to have no large schisms, no huge breaks or separations, this is also possible. But to be perfectly united in mind and thought is nothing short of a miracle. To be perfectly united in mind and thought, those are the words that Paul calls us to, the final appeal and this is a high standard of unity, one that we cannot achieve on our own. That kind of unity requires God's help, whether it be at an interpersonal relationship or within the church or within a nation. This requires God's help. There are quarrels among you, Paul has heard from some of the members of Chloe's household. Quarrels. The Greek word for quarrels is from eris which is where we get our English word for erosion. Consider what erosion looks like in soil. It takes away from the integrity of the land, and it harms it. It's where we get our word erosion. Erosion, where things slowly fall apart and lose their usefulness. They can no longer bear good fruit. These quarrels are the force of erosion that has attacked the unity of the church, which has led to schism. Our ministry of unity in the local church is where it needs to start. Maybe we have high hopes and and should have very lofty prayers for the unity of our country, but that is no easy fix and no Facebook post or social media pleading is going to change anyone's mind in a hurry. In fact, it's so anonymous, it's so impersonal, that the effect is often diminished People may be vocal but not effective. But what about our interpersonal relationships right here? From our own families to our church family and beyond. This is where we have control. This is where we can have true effect. And this is where a path of unity can begin. The Apostle Paul was calling the church in Corinth to not look like the divided world. To exist with one another the same can be true called for us. As we see the world becoming more toxically schismatic and divided and fractured and hateful, the church has increased its call to be heard as a voice of unity. Talking with Sherwin Wiener yesterday after Joyce Overbeek's funeral, and we both echoed that sentiment that now is the time for the church to demonstrate its unity, to set itself apart, to show an example of something better, than what we see elsewhere. And this is how we seek reconciliation and share the reconciliation of Christ, which is the foundation of our unity. How do you agree with those around you? When is it appropriate to disagree so that there is not division? And how do we take steps to be perfectly united in mind and thought? These are baby steps towards a much loftier goal. And maybe baby steps is all we need and all we need to try to tackle right now. To be perfectly united in mind and thought is a high and lofty calling. One great example for us here at North Holland. We're about to enter into this time for a vote for a building project which shapes the future of our church. Three weeks from now, what does it look like for us to practice these very words from Scripture, from 1 Corinthians, that we agree with one another, that there are not divisions among us, that we are perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, there's space to agree to disagree, maybe over colors of carpet or walls. But there's to be no divisions among us. Not a lack of disagreement, but no divisions means that there is no taking away. There is no trying to build up a party, to to split away. It's been our prayer for years now as we've worked on this, that this be a uniting time for our church, not a dividing time. Because the brick and mortar is one thing, but the unity of the church, that is a spiritual undertaking for all of us to uphold together to uphold even in times of disagreement that we maintain our unity as a body. Maybe it's just because we had a funeral yesterday, so I'm feeling sentimental about members that have passed on. But I'm thinking of the Van Campens a little bit today. Certainly, our dear June, very much like Joyce Overbeek, quiet, soft-spoken, thoughtful, loving, compassionate. Now, I myself did not know Geit. But you all have told me the stories of Geit. And I know that Geit was a big guy and a big personality. And I know from some of you that served on consistory alongside of him that Geit was willing to run you up a rail if he disagreed with you, in a heartbeat, no problem. But that once it was settled, once the agenda had been set, once the decision had been reached, Geit was on board. I've heard the stories. Howard Dahlman and Geit Van Kampen disagreeing about our 1989 remodel. And yet, when the decision was made, there was unity in mind and thought. And Geit went on to be one of the auctioneers to raise money for the project. Those stories of unity from our past ought to continue to shape our future. That even those who disagree, even when we're not quite sure, that we hear one another well and set the precedent for unity of mind and thought with one another. This is our spiritual endeavor together. This requires humility, patience, listening, learning, and loving. All things that Christ has already called us to, but an opportunity to do it in an actualized and specific way. This is the way in which we are perfectly united in mind and thought is to fulfill the very command of Christ to love one another. So North Holland, with all of its different parts and pieces, with all of us, with other friends from other churches in the area, when we wear our uniform as people who are Christians, that we recognize that we're all from a particular location, a particular church, but that we are united under the bigger umbrella, of being disciples of Jesus Christ. Wear this uniform in sincerity. Protect against schism and heresy and prevent quarrels and quibbles from eroding the unity and integration which God has called us to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, you call us to high and lofty ideals beyond our human capacities for unity. Lord, by your word and by your spirit, protect us that we may be slow to divide, that we may be firm in the foundation that is you and you alone, that we may be given wisdom and patience on when to agree to disagree and that you may bless us with perfect unity in mind and thought. Lord, protect us from every level, from our family members and our dear friends, from our extended families, our co-workers, our church families. May our unity with one another be the foundation which builds unity throughout the entire land. This we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only one who can accomplish such a task. In the name of Jesus, amen.